Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, well, there we are. Radio. There we are. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Down to Earth. This is the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today there are a lot of issues that matter, (laughs) right? There are so many issues that matter. I just want to say uh, to everybody, we're good. We're okay. Everything is fine. We woke up this morning. Thank God we're still in the U.S. of A., right? And to all our listeners around the world, those of you in India, Singapore, the United Kingdom, Bangladesh, I'm really touched. South Africa, Namibia, Croatia, I'm really touched, and thank you so much for your support as you continue to listen to us. And if I left out anybody, don't hold it against me. There are just so many. I am so very grateful and humbled by the fact that you choose to listen to us, to hear what we have to say about the issues that matter. We are aware that today is Wednesday, January 8th, and overnight uh, we learned some unfortunate things happened, but we believe And we're going to believe in advance that there won't be a war. We're going to believe that all things are going to work out for the good of all of us. And that somehow gentility will prevail and common sense will prevail that will keep us from escalating into a conflict that we really don't want or we really don't need. My youngest daughter said it best. She said wars are something you read about in a textbook, which tells us that this is not the time nor the place. We want to be able to live freely, live in peace, go about our daily lives without fear. So we pray for those who are in power and who have those decisions to make and who are deliberating at this time the safety and security for all of us. So we pray for them, right? So we have to be mindful of that because history is recording us. And a few years from now, they'll wonder what you and I talked about on the 8th day of January, what was going on. My youngest daughter was born after 9-11, and she does ask those questions. Well, what happened before? What were you guys thinking before? How did it happen? Why did it happen? And that generation comes of age. The generation born the year after 9-11, they come of age this year. They're 18. They'll be 18 this year, (laughs) and they're getting older. And they're like, for the next 20 years, we don't want this, right? So we have to be mindful of that. Well, today, I came across a story that I think would kind of stir you up a little bit. And I hope that uh, you can uh, uh, think about it. And uh, it probably is going to inspire you to think about something else. And it's a story about a six-year-old boy who had a near-death experience, who was in a car accident with his father. And his had a, some sort of dreams or something. Whatever he had, he told his parents about. And they launched a website because he, was, uh, he had been severely injured. He was near decapitated. His spine was severed from his head, and it was almost as if he, were, he wasn't going to make it. So the parents launched a website called prayersforalex.com. And out of those prayers, people began to rally around the idea that this young boy, this little boy, would survive. Well, he did survive, but he's now a quadriplegic. So he's confined to a wheelchair. He did get his speech back, but he still has mobility challenges. So he's in a wheelchair. So there are a number of components to this story. But the, sto- the story that got out of it was this, that his father wrote a book based on the six-year-old ramblings about heaven. So according to the child, according to the book, it says that when he died, he went to heaven. And he went down this white tunnel, and Jesus was standing at the end of the tunnel. Are you listening? And that there were 150 angels. It gets better. There were 150 angels. And at the end of the tunnel, 
God was sitting at the end of the tunnel in a throne, y'all. And he had a scroll that said the end times. I'm saying this with all brevity. Mm-hmm. And the child says he saw a hundred and fifty angels. He had time to come. While he was under, he had time to come. And the father used this to launch a whole book. It launched a whole genre of Christian publishing called Heaven Tourism. After that, they came up with stories like Heaven is Real, Heaven is for Real, and all kinds of stuff. But the thing that got to me is how the adults around him listened to that description and thought that that was true. That six-year-old boy is now 20, and he has grown up. And he says, that's a lie. He did not tell his father that. And so the publishers had to withdraw the book, pull the book from the shelves. He's also suing his his father, by the way. His parents are now divorced because the father, you know how that is, right? Yeah, father left, the child is a quadriplegic, right? The father left. So he's now suing the father because he said his father took the money and spent the money and he didn't get any. He's also saying, those were not my words. He said, I didn't tell my father that. He said, I didn't say any of that. Boom. I'm going to post the link to the story later for you to read it. Can you believe it? But the thing that got to me is how desperate Christian publishers must have been for them to accept the things of a six-year-old boy. It gets better. Later on, Christian publishing launched this whole new genre called Heaven Tourism. They also took the dreams of another four-year-old boy. And I'm sitting there saying, but my children, when they were four and six, they had fantastic dreams. I should have recorded that and made it into a book. Would I have had the same success? I doubt that. It seems like, it, it, it seems like to authenticate it, you had to be white. It's, it's much like how Christianity is portrayed today. It's much like the disconnect that Christianity has with most of the world. For you to be a Christian, you must be white. And if you are not white, then you're not a true Christian. A lot of people, a lot of people of color who go to Christian colleges come back and say the same thing, that they were mistreated and encountered racism while they were in Christian institutions because it's almost as if if you're not white, you're not a true Christian. So they took the words of this six-year-old boy. I'm calling all Christian publishers. They took the words of this six-year-old boy because he's white and listened to him describe heaven and describe the angels. Do you know I've read the Bible twice? There's nowhere in the Bible where it provides a description of angels. Angels are something that is told of in mythology. The Bible does not provide a description of what angels look like. So how on God's name is he going to say that angels are fluffy with wings? The Bible described the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord. Nobody said those were angels. The Bible says the cherubim and the seraphim. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing me? And so they launched this whole genre called heaven tourism. And Christian publishing melts it for what it's worth made money off it. That book, written by this young kid named Alex Malarkey, sold one million copies. Now, people are actually laughing because Malarkey, that's his last name, his father has completely disappeared because he literally took a young boy's words and made a bunch of money out of it, and none of it was true. Just by reading the description alone, I'm like a six-year-old child can't count to 158. Am I correct here? Very rarely. And not when he's had an accident and he's almost decapitated, right? He's not coherent enough to know what he's seen. How did you believe him? A six-year-old child and made a whole book about it. According to the father, whenever he sat by his son's bedside, his son will talk about it. The child now, who is now 20, says that's a lie. That was not true. And so the publishers had to yank the books off the shelf. And I am like, how desperate were people 
that you would actually believe in this. It sounds so fantastic. And it sounds like a darn fairy tale. No wonder you can't get people to believe in God because the the, the picture around it and the, 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 the myth surrounding it, it sounds more like a myth and a fairy tale than it sounds real. Why can people not stop lying? Why do you have to have made up truth? Stop the lies, Christian publishers. Have the real stories. There are people who write real stories out there. Let them publish those. It will resonate with today's audience. Maybe it wouldn't have 20 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago, people were desperate, and there were people who just wanted to believe that heaven and angels were just going to come floating out of the sky. You've got to be kidding. Go and read the Bible one more time. Whenever I see stuff like this, I always ask myself, which Bible are they reading? Because it can't be the same Bible that I have read and I continue to read every day. Do you see what I'm saying? Where does this idea come from? And the thing about this is that Christian publishing seems to very rarely, I remember when I was getting my first book published, Visions. Now, I'm an adult, and I'm in my right mind, and I had dreams and visions, right? And I was publishing my first book, Visions, and there were no opportunities. They didn't hand me a contract. They didn't hand me a book. So let me just put that out there as a disclaimer. I had to self-publish my book. Not because they wouldn't authenticate it. They just, I, I was unaware. See, if I had thought about it, I probably would never have, right? But I was unaware of the extent to which racism and colorism intrude on what is supposed to be pure belief. Religion is very colored. And the practice of religiosity and the practice surrounding it tends to be affected by our own prejudices and biases whether they're color-based, whether they're, they're, they're race-based, yeah, whether they're culture. But we tend to invoke and intrude and allow our own prejudices and biases and beliefs to intrude on something that was essentially designed to be much better, designed to be pure. Religion was never designed to be oppressive and repressive. Those are the traditions of man. And there is a space in which you do have dreams. Everybody has dreams. You go to bed and you have a dream. Everybody has dreams. Some of these dreams do mean, do are prophetic because they will tell you about events that have not yet happened. That's when they become prophetic. Events that have not yet happened. But seriously, when you read this child or what the father pretended to be his child things, you realize that he sounds like he's reading a description that he read somewhere. That's what it sounds like. It wasn't presented as a work of fiction. It was presented as real life. Right? So it's so, I, when I read it yesterday, I was like, who on God's green earth did not see this for what it truly is? That this is a made up story. How was it not perceived as a made up story? And the publishers yanking the, the book essentially are saying since the author of the book, because the book was published in the child's name, the child is now an adult and says his father did not obtain his permission. He did not give his father permission to do that because he was a child. So he could not consent to that. Interesting, isn't it? And this opens the door too for a lot of uh, child actors and so on, whose parents uh, prod them into into in, into stuff that they probably are not ready for. Maybe this child was not ready for the the large space and the 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 celebrity and the attention that comes with being well known. Maybe he didn't want that, especially having not survived the the, the accident in the way that they thought. They kept professing and praying that he would walk, and now it has called into authenticity. Even his pastor. And the other preachers who kept professing that the child would eventually walk. He still is not walking. That doesn't mean that he won't walk one day. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know for sure. I have not examined it from a spiritual context. What I'm doing is looking at it objectively. As a member of the public, that how did a whole Christian movement did not see that this was fake? 
because that's essentially what it is. In the words of the president, fake news. That was fake, and they paid the father over a million dollars for a fake story. Meanwhile, the people with authentic stories can't even get their name put on a book, can't even get a minute of their time. Now, the publishers are saying, well, it would seem to have been authenticated. There was a whole website around it. People were saying things about it. I'm like, no, you saw greed and opportunity. You're no different from everybody else. This is exactly what people are saying about Christianity. You saw greed and opportunity and went for it. It it didn't matter that a six-year-old was telling a story that sounded like he read a description in a book. That is not the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it provide a description of angels as having fluffy wings. And listen to this. This is the part that got to me. If this did not uh, see anybody else, the part that God was sitting with a scroll that says end time. Do you know what Christianity was preaching in the 2000s? You got it. The end time. Why would God, the creator of the universe, who has time in his hands, why would he have a scroll that is saying the end time? Unbelievable. Somebody, I, I will, I'm not going to uh, give you a response to that. If you want to know about that, go look on somebody else's podcast because I don't know what that is. Okay? I don't know what, what you're talking about. I don't know what that is. That is not a part of my experience. <laughs> it's the craziest thing ever. It's the craziest thing ever. They launched a whole genre on how on what is called heaven tourism. The craziest thing ever. The craziest thing. The book is no longer in print because they took it off the shelves, they withdrew it because the child withdrew it and said, I don't want my name attached to something that I didn't say and I don't I didn't give permission. The father, whom they've been trying to find to interview him, to ask him what happened, the father is like he can't be found. Not even his family can find him. He literally disappeared. Now, in a lot of ways, they feel that it's, you know, he probably feels some guilt because he was, how shall I say it? He was on his cell phone at the time of the accident. He approached an intersection, and they say it's an, you know, intersections can be tricky any way you look at it, right? And intersections, he approached the intersection, but For the people who live in that area, it's a well-known intersection that is problematic. But he was on his cell phone and did, when he approached the intersection, he was not aware of of his surroundings. So another car was coming and hit them and the little boy was, was, was damaged. It is during that time they claim that that's when he had his near death experience. And you and I are like, Seriously, these things do happen. And what it, what it is is that we have to take a look at how do these things happen. I mean, Christian publishing is something else, right? And publishing, to get your book published, anybody, is a, is a, is a, is a walk of faith. It's very difficult. You, ha- you literally have to have a lot of connections. I kid you not. Yesterday, I was reading the story of this young woman, Elizabeth Wurzel. Anybody remembers that book, Prozac Nation? Most of us do, right? In which she talked about drug use and clinical depression and, and how clinical depression affected people. And, you know, but when you look, read it objectively, that was a book that was, you could tell most people were angry that she wrote the book because she was talking about drug use. And it sounded like she was, she was arrogant about it. But the truth is she was describing her own experiences and it highlighted something at the time. When it first came out, I was like, wow, people finally are coming forward to talk about this. But she died recently. So now the book has, you know, resurged in in popularity. But she was a young woman 
She was at Harvard at the time, and she was just privileged. So she engaged in drug use because that's what people did. And she had the means to support it, right? And she had the wherewithal, and she did it. It was it's still a good story, no no matter what. It's still a good story. But I'm just showing you how publishing can be skewered and how it favors the right people with the right connections. Now I don't know that the Malarchies had the right connections. I just know that they had launched a website, Prayers for Their Son, in which they fervently were hoping and believing, at least the mother was, that something would happen. The the mother of the child was saying she didn't consent to it either. It was just something that her husband did at the time. Uh, Someone is asking, does anyone think there is a real Jesus? I think some of us believe that, Raven. Uh, someone on my uh, YouTube page is asking that. I think some some people still believe that, right? That the history does seem to uh, back up what the Bible says in the New Testament. History does seem to back that up. So there is that, right? So that's the irrefutable, the irrefutable uh, recollection, irrefutable fact. So it, it, it is there. But what is amazing to me is that <laughs> what is amazing to me is how people run after stories that are not even true. And, and this might be something that has more to do with media than it has to do with whether that media is Christian or anything. They do seem to go after stories. The more fantastic it sounds is the more they search for it, is the more they go after it. I don't know what else to say because I cannot for the life of me imagine why you would want to go after a story that has no basis in truth. <laughs> Why would you take the words, Raven, help me to understand. Why would you take the words of a six-year-old kid who probably was under drugs, right? They probably gave him some of the strongest painkillers and he was in a fog. Why would you take the words of a six-year-old kid and launch a whole book out of it? And it was believable. And publishers, well-intentioned and publishers who are smarter actually said, let's make this a story and run with it. And they did. It does touch on some, uh, some of the stuff that I read in it. I was just, I was shaking my head, people. I'm going to post the link so that those of you can follow it on, can read it for yourselves. And when you read it for yourselves, you will be doing like me. You will be shaking your head all the time because it sounds like the fairy tales I grew up reading, right? Let me hear what my girl Raven said. Someone wanted to make money. Absolutely. (laughs) Someone just wanted to make money. How could you take, and then the same publisher in a a few years after that published a book about a four-year-old who also had a, and I'm like, did you just want to make fun of children's stories or were you making up stories for children? Or what is it? In other words, what I'm saying is they've broken down and taken something as real as Christianity and people's belief system and made a fairy tale out of it. And now people who actually find themselves with a desire to have faith are questioning the authenticity of the stories in the Bible because the very people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Christ, the very people who claim to be teachers of the word of God, are the very same people who are turning around and making it a fairy tale so they can make a whole bunch of money. Talk about authenticity, right? I know I'm not going to get a lot of answers on this one, right? Because a lot of people are, are people are just like, wow, like, wow, <laughs> like, wow. And, and the story is, is true. You got to read the story. Uh, I'm probably going to try to bring it up so I can read it. I want someone to bring up the story so I can read it and tell you some of the stuff. It it really was truly mind-blowing because of the way that it is structured. And it tells a lot about us. It tells a lot about what we believe and what we don't believe and what we choose to believe. It just tells me that people believe what they want to believe. And here's the thing, it, it, 
I feel as if the Bible talks about free will in the book of Genesis, where obviously God gave us free will. You can believe anything you want to believe, but do whatever you want to do. There is some accountability, but it's up to you to choose to believe, whether you choose to believe in that, even in the accountability. You're still going to be held accountable for what you believe, but it's up to you, right? And I think in a lot of ways, uh, Christian uh, leaders of, of, a, of another time manipulated what people chose to believe and manipulated thought and influenced the thought of what people should believe so much so that now you don't even know what to believe. There are so many voices out there that you don't know which one is truth or which one is not. In fact, to be honest with you, the Bible does say so. And so now people who read all those books, perhaps read those stories to their children, I, that was in 2004, so that's what, 16 years ago? So let's say somebody was 16 at the, was six years old at the time in 2004, 2005, and so on. Those folks are now part of what we call millennials and generation, generation uh, Z, aren't they? Right? So they're part of Generation Z and millennials who what? Absolutely have nothing to do with religion. And it's not just Christian religion. Even people who grew up in, in Muslim households are defining themselves that they're non-religious. And it's a movement, it's sort of like a backlash against organized religion because of the way in which religion has been presented. You can't present your religion like a fairy tale and expect it to be authentic. You can't seem to favor one group of people over another or say, well, we have the truth. And the truth that we have is the only truth. Look at Christianity, how multidimensional Christianity is. There are people within Christianity who, like the, the, the Church of Latter-day Saints, who believe in polygamy. They practice polygamy. Some forms of the, of the Mormon church still practice polygamy. They're sex. They have branched off. But they practice polygamy. They still believe in Christ, but they believe a man should have as many wives as he can afford to take care of, and he should intermingle with all of them so everybody is related. Look how multidimensional it is. They still go to church. They still practice tenets of their faith. Do you see what I'm saying? But this is not a discourse on organized religion. This is a discourse on how a Christian publisher took the words of a six-year-old boy and made a whole genre out of it. Do I believe that should be the case? I believe that whatever you believe is what you believe. That's what I think. What you believe is what you believe. I am not going to proselytize and try to change you. I am only going to talk about what I believe and expose you to it. And if you think it is, it resonates with some experience you've had or it sounds interesting, then I'll point you in the direction where you can read it for yourself and obtain some truth. You see what I mean? That's, that's how I see it. I don't believe in holding you down and flushing you out with water and so on. If I believe in multi-wives, no. No. I still believe in the one man, one woman thing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with being romantic. I just think, I just think that that's the best way for society to function. Is that what I mean? Hey, is that what I mean? So I don't believe in that. Somebody's asking me if I believe in multi-wives. No, no. <laughs> Let me just say that. No, I th I still believe in that family dynamic of two people with children. I still believe that that's healthier for all concerned. It's healthier emotionally, definitely sexually, and societally. It best represents the society and best represents what healthy, wholesome family life should look like. Two people plus children. Right? That's what I believe. Let me see what so I love hearing what you say. It's a shame a lot of men are greedy fools. 
Well, men tend to have that nature where they want to explore everything. I think they're eternally curious. Uh, they do know that a woman, you know, has the same apparatus and equipment like every other woman. It works it's basically the same. It, it, it functions the same. But I think they view it as a challenge. And they want it because they want it. And they don't know how to squash that nature that says, if you have it, here are the consequences. And they're, they're, they don't face their consequences. A lot of people do not face their consequences. That when you have these multiple relationships, there are consequences. When the consequences come at them, they tend to, to hide and run. As in caveman days, yeah. We gotta, we gotta live in such a way that we don't damage others and ourselves. I don't believe that having multiple relationships me is, is healthy. I don't believe it's healthy emotionally. I don't think anyone profits from that. I think it, it is damaging emotionally and, and, and sexually as well, certainly financially. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Right? So I believe that people ought to be able to engage in relationships that are conducive to making, making the unit better, whatever that might look like. You see what I mean? Not having a wife here, but 10 others out there, five others out there. I don't believe in that. That is not healthy. And we're seeing that in real time today. People are damaged, right? And, and we, need to, we need to be accountable to ourselves. We need to hold ourselves accountable. We can no longer excuse that, that that's just the nature of a person. Spreading emotion and passion thinner amongst multiple wives is not good. No. What is all that? That's nothing. You're really not helping anybody. Then you have the children. The children grow up. The children are confused. Then they become adults who hate themselves and hate others because they were emotionally damaged. Because they're, when they were children, they were not looked after. They were not valued because daddy had multiple assignations and multiple assignments. We need to really get control of that. Uh, on our podcast later on in the month of January and February, we're going to have relationship experts, one of whom is a, is a clinical She's a psychiatrist. She's going to talk to us about that, right? She's from, from Arkansas. She's going to talk to us about that. Some serious stuff, right? Based on what she sees. And we're gonna have we're gonna it's gonna be balanced. So you'll hear from both, you know, from from a, a professor who teaches on epigenetics, right? Epigenetics, the science of what is in our DNA from the people who were here before, right? And how it influences us and the decisions we make. We have to be real careful about some of the stuff. A lot of the stuff that we are experiencing in relationships come from what is in our DNA. People have a propensity to explore other things that they don't even realize that they do. It propels them to make continually repeat the same cycle over and over. You've heard of breaking the cycle, breaking the cycle. It's a serious thing, right? Nowadays, therapists are like, oh my God, there's just so much. The therapists themselves are damaged and traumatized based on what they are learning from their, 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 their people, from their clients. And we really don't have the tools. Antidepressants are not working. Antidepressants do not work. As it says, it depresses you, may suppress you, but then what do you do when that is done? Antidepressants are not helping. People are in depression. People feel alone, right? Just think about it. Uh, I'll tell you a true story. A couple years ago, it might have been about six years ago now, I was having a meeting with a guy, and I, because I wanted to do business with his organization, I kind of went along with what he said. He insisted that he had no other time but at 6 o'clock in the evening because he had to pick up and drop his kids off. And the only time he had was at 6 o'clock in the evening. I kid you not. And I went along with it. Right, Tony? I just said, okay. So we met at a popular place here in the metro Detroit area. And when I walked in, I wanted to sit at a booth so I'd be more comfortable, but he was sitting at the bar. I don't drink. 
So I kind of just walked up and said, hello, how are you doing, blah, 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 thinking I would be in and out in 30 minutes because I, too, come with my own story. I got to go into school night was my story. I don't know what I'm going to do when my daughter goes to college because she's been my uh, excuse to leave situations for so long, right? And as I said, it was a Tuesday evening, and it was 6 o'clock in the evening, and as I sat there, there were a number of working professionals. And I remember saying, I said to him, why are all these people here? It's Tuesday evening. People don't have work to do tomorrow, so they're coming to hang out. And he said, we're a group, and we meet here to, to help one another. I said, what? He said, we are the people who are divorced and who have to drop our children off for that midweek child visitation. And I said, wow, so everybody in here has children. You are divorced, and you end up at a bar because you're alone and you feel left left without because you had to drop your children off to the other parent for the midweek child visitation hour. That was mind-blowing. You know what that is? That is the residue and the consequences of getting married too quickly to people whom we shouldn't be married to. And secondly, we couldn't keep our zipper zipped. We couldn't keep our panties up. We destroyed relationships and did not think about the collateral damage that would ensue to us. All these folks, they looked broken. They were sad, but they will never accept, never admit that how sad they were that they have broken their children's lives. Some of them are also uh, children of divorce, and they are repeating the cycle. You see what I mean? And so here are the children, and here are they at a bar on a Tuesday evening, drinking themselves into oblivion, probably at the end of that evening going home with people whom they don't want to be with. I remember this man asking me, so I said to him, what are you doing here? And he said that's when he told me he had just gotten divorced. So I said, so this is how you solve the issues in your relationship by coming here to have a drink and then you don't see your children again until Thursday so you'll be here Tuesday night he said well we're here Tuesdays and Thursdays incredible these are the consequences is this an example of modern life I'm not sure I think it's we people are so focused on the money everything else is put to one side ultimately becoming selfish yes that's true and someone else is saying problem is the entertainment industry promotes violence and greed. Very, very true. And they promote multiple liaisons as if having multiple liaisons is the way that a man is defined as. Yes, the entertainment industry is guilty of that. Anybody watch that show Power? I think it's on Showtime. I don't watch it. I watched it for one season and that was as much as I could take. I couldn't deal with the rest of it. Right? But it shows that a man is a man if he has multiple liaisons. He's a man because he has this woman there and that one and that one, and he's just running between the three of them because that's what makes him powerful. Are you kidding me? I know my grandfather is turning over in his grave right now, right? Hollywood and the mainstream media turning the so-called civilization world into eye candy shop. Absolutely. Have you ever watched some of these ads? If you think they don't get us in the shows, They also get us in the ads. Have you ever really thought about it, some of these ads that they have on television? Have you ever really looked at it? Can I just ask you guys, let's just be honest right here. Let's just be honest. This show took a whole other, I'm just going to go with where this is going. Let's just be honest. My friends, we're grown, right? We're all over 18. Okay. Can I just ask you this question? Have you ever seriously watched television and watched the ads? Don't you think they're highly suggestive? And can I just ask you this? Which 45-year-old woman who has had children looks like the people you see on television in an ad? Think about it. So what that is doing is teaching men and telling men, this is what you ought to look like. So he looks at his wife whom he has spent time with who has had children and she doesn't look like the model on TV, he starts looking for the model on TV who works for him. So he starts going to the gym to look for the model on TV. Before you know it, he's gone this way. The marriage is over. 
to get to to destroy the society, they had to get into the the, the, the mind of a man. Once they got into his mind, they got us. Because now they're telling him, this is what you're supposed to. We women are constantly fighting our hormones, fighting the natural way our bodies are built to continually keep up with an image that is distorted. So many women have had surgeries and plastic surgeries. You wonder why there's so much cancer? Think about it. We have more cancer today because we're cutting our bodies more. We're making our faces. We're breaking our noses to make them straighter, lifting our eyes, peeling back the skin on our faces to make it tighter and tighter until some people can't talk. This is how they are now. We've made adjustments to our neckline. Forget about boob implantation. That is all time. Because if your boobs are not, you're, you're, you're 47, but your boobs have to be under your face, your tummy has to look like your, your 15-year-old daughter. And so it goes on and on. And I'm like, so where's the standard? Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Let me read. There's a lot of subliminal messages in commercials. Absolutely. It's highly suggestive. And this is what has caused a lot of the problems. Now, I'm a woman of middle age. There's no way I'm going to look like my 17-year-old daughter, Buzz. There's no way I'm going to look like that, right? This is unrealistic. Now, I do have a responsibility to myself to make sure that I exercise, I eat right, because it's the healthy thing to do, and I want a healthy self-image. But my self-image, though I might think it's great, is not going to line up with what Hollywood presents. And guess what? We like what Hollywood presents. We like how that looks. You have any idea how people's lives are miserable? Have you ever really been hungry? You know how hungry people are and what they have to take to prop them up? Do you see what I'm saying? These are the things that have contributed to the breakdown in our relationship. What kind of messaging? And a man can't escape it. He's sitting there. He's watching the news anchor because he's watching the news. Now they have female sports anchors. Yay. And he's watching that. And he's watching movies and so on. And everybody looks except what his wife looks like or his girlfriend or the love of his life whom he has loved since he was in college. Suddenly she doesn't match up. Now that is not to say that we're not to make sure that we present ourselves as the best of all time. I fervently believe in that. But baby, I'm not a Barbie. I'm never going to be a Barbie. I'm a woman of middle age. I was never made like a Barbie. As long as I can remember, I've always been a size four or six. It trends when I get pregnant, it goes up. Do you see what I'm saying? So how unrealistic it is for you to expect me to be a size zero. And I come with the natural equipment that comes with being a woman. I am putting this into context for us to see how our relationships are being validated by entities that we have no control over that are superimposing what they want. They're saying women shouldn't have hips. That's what we call androgynous. So women today look like they can be a man or a woman because the, 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 the messaging is men who are straight, who like women, have options. So they can choose a woman who is like like me, but they can also choose a woman who could be a man because she has narrow hips and no butt, no no uh, no breast, maybe breast. It's crazy the messaging that is going on. It has destroyed us, and we need to say, you know what? If we start saying, you know what? It's enough is enough. I don't want that. I want to see more people on film and more people in commercials who look like me. I want to see more people who are more representative of what the population looks like. Middle ages make us fine like wine. Who cares what people think? That's how I look at it. Right? I think I'm looking better than I ever looked. I did a comparison the other day, and I encourage you to do the same. Right? You know, we all have photos on our, 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 our phones of ourselves. I encourage you, go take a photo from five years ago. Look at yourself then and look at yourself now. You're going to be amazed. You're going to be like, whoa, I look younger today. You're going to be like, wow. See, you can't follow the Hollywood model. The Hollywood model says that I should look 
like I'm 15 forever. In my mind, I think I'm 28 forever. <laughs> the reality is no. Do you see what? And these are the things that destroy even good marriages, even marriages that have been around for 20 years, even marriages that have been around. People go and enhance themselves surgically to remain attractive. And this is why there's such a proliferation in all these cancers. You keep cutting yourselves open, sucking out fat, and they leave all the stuff inside of you, and all kinds of stuff goes bad. We're not eating as much as we should to maintain. What, what, what is this? That if you weigh uh, your BMIs over, it used to be your BMI had to be over 30 for you to be obese. Now it's over 25. That's them adjusting the standards to make you feel as if you're obese so they can go sell more drugs. So when you go to the doctor, they're going to tell you you're obese, so they start prescribing drugs so you have high blood pressure, diabetes, and blah, blah, blah. They've adjusted the standard on blood pressure. Once upon a time, up until 140 over 80, you were okay. Now, if you're at 140 over 80, you have high blood pressure. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Trust me, it's a lie because as you age... Perhaps things change in your body. Your hormones fluctuate. That's natural as more years are added on to your body. There's, folks, let's be real. You're not going to live for 50 years and expect to be the same as you were at 25. Uh-uh. You're not going to be 70 and your body's going to act like it did at 25. Uh-uh. Unless you were in a cocoon and didn't do anything. Right? And a lot of these things are what impact our relationship. We, we, we say that we, we present the messaging is that you have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then nothing works. It's the truth. It's just like, you think I'm kidding? In the story I just told you about with the Christian uh, publisher story where the six-year-old told this fantastic story about God holding up a scroll saying the end times is the most unbelievable thing you've ever read, right? Do you know that the husband left the wife and left the child who is now a quadriplegic? It is not unusual because we keep telling everyone, we keep telling ourselves that the perfect life, the perfect family, the perfect wife, the perfect husband, if it's not perfect, then you, something is wrong with you. It is not unusual for mothers to be left alone across all culture in the society, across all groups, for the where there is a special needs child, it's not unusual for one parent to end up being the only one who takes care of a child. I have a friend who was married. I hope he's not listening. And he was married and his wife got pregnant. And obviously she said it was his child. And the child was a special needs child. She left him to take care of the child. And he said, I could not abandon the child when the child was diagnosed with special needs. About when the child turned 17, the child needed some blood work done. And when they went to do it, guess what? They found out it was not his child at all. For 17 years, he took care of a child with special needs that was not his. Changed the whole course of his life. There are so many in families where when a child has, has accidents or something goes wrong, one parent is left with a child because we keep saying that life has to be perfect. Life is not perfect. Like I was telling someone on the phone yesterday, it doesn't follow the script. It doesn't all, oh, and what works for you might not be my story. So before you, you were so quick to judge, before you jump up and judge, listen to the story. This is why when people, when people, when I meet folks and they start talking, I always ask them, what's your story? Tell me about you. Because I want to hear your story because your story has a unique pattern. And while there are some things that society will impact you, there are still some things that are unique and that are only specific to you. And I suspect that in a lot of ways, we don't understand that. We tend to be uh, on on loving and on on. Shall I just say, it for want of a better word, we lack compassion. It's the Christian thing to do. 
Now, when they set up this website for this kid, Prayers for Alex, they were drawing on the compassion of the public. And the public expressed it unreservedly. People brought food. People brought prayers. People helped them to get a special van to accommodate the child after he was discharged from hospital. People responded in kind because people were looking at the need. And they responded to the need. There's nothing wrong with having compassion. Compassion is what we all want. But can we also exercise compassion when we're in relationships? We're so quick to say, well, you left the toilet seat up. You didn't pay this bill. You didn't stop at this. You didn't do this. Can we try to understand what was going on with that person? I'm telling you, as a person who has to drive through traffic every day, I hate traffic. Can you tell? A lot of marriages end, relationships end, because you didn't show up on time because of traffic. I'm not talking about those where they use traffic as an excuse to go have their uh, after, you know, midweek dallies or what dalliances or whatever. I'm talking about the little things that we make a mountain out of. So we become, we cannot, we are unlivable with each other. You do realize that when you are a unit, you're stronger. We do need to find the right people to partner with and be understanding. And some of us, we do have some ways that we need to let go of. We need to let go of these ways. Cool yourself as a guy. Don't look. Stare intently at your wife, your girlfriend, your, 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 your partner. Stare intently at them. Do not look. Because once you look, the way we've been socialized is to engage in what would that be like. It feels like the same way with this person you're with. <laughs> is it because it's new? It gives you a thrill? Well, every time you go with a person you're with, imagine that it's the first time. We got to stay with one another. Things happen. There's so many people who are older. You realize that all this divorce rate and all these single people, there'll be a lot of people in the nursing homes who are single, right? There'll be a lot of people who will be so alone. Depression is going to kill us with loneliness. Loneliness and depression is killing us all. Sending people, giving you diseases that you never heard of, that you shouldn't have, because we're depressed, because we're lonely. And sometimes we settle. We take on the wrong people. They end up being wrong for us, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Right? I think this was, I think somebody needed to hear this today. You need to understand where you are and take stock, all of us and evaluate what is important. What is it that I'm supposed to be learning? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? How can I make this work? We, we, we have such a transient view of relationships. We just weave in and out, in and out of people's lives. And we think we're the bachelor about town and the man about town because our friends make us think that that's okay. And that that is fine. Are you living for them when you're having sex with your partner? Are you thinking about your friends? Then you really probably want to have sex with your part with your friends. Because if that's what you're hearing, that's wired you up. You really need to look at it. Do you see where I'm coming from? We need to really figure out what our priorities are. Listen to me very carefully. As we get older, having a partner helps to delay loneliness. Having someone to take care of and someone who's going to take care of you makes you sleep better at night. Someone who can call the doctor for you, make sure you get your meds, make sure in the middle of the night when you wake up and your heart, you feel like something is in your chest, you can, they can bring you a glass of water. So for all of us out there, men and women, who are glorifying living singly because it gives you options to engage with people and to have sex with multiple partners, I'm warning us, all of us, that's not a good place to be. We're going to pay for it later. You're going to end up lonely and hurt and depressed and suicidal because you're going to think, I never did anything. I could have changed this. You know how many people live in regret? I've known of people who have changed their lives when they realize that I can't go on like this. 
We were made to partner with people. We were made to be part of a unit. There is no glory in it. I hate being single. I just haven't found the right person who's not going to be a man who are running around town thinking they belong to the community. I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. So what is this? You want to walk around with some STD or something? Get it together. People don't want to hear that accountability. They want to think you're 55, you're 40, 45, and you're still acting as if you're 16. We've got to grow up some. Men and women, because there are some women who are doing it too. Whether they're lesbians or they're straight, they're still having one up, one down. I heard about a woman who was a lesbian who every three months she had a new partner. What are you trying to prove? We have to cut that out. I'm like, just think of all the bacteria running around in her mouth was just enough. To make, it's the same thing with a man. Right? And you look into people's faces and all you see is emptiness. Emptiness. Nothing in there. Hello? What's going on in there? Because you've lost your soul. You have to connect with one person and stick with that person. It's healthier. Emotionally, spiritually, healthily, and financially. the best way to live, right? It's my prayer today for you that this is what you find. If you, there's someone on your heart that you need to go to and make amends because that was the best choice, and after all that you have run around and you come back to the fact that I should have been with that one, then you need to forgive. If, they're, if they have married up, you need to ask for forgiveness, Right? There's a lot of people that live in regret. I think the reason why some people have more than one partner is because there's a lot of lonely single people out there. We choose to. We choose to. There are a lot of people who are seduced into thinking that having multiple partners is exciting and makes them feel energized, makes them think that they're powerful. Some people actually do get their sense of power from how, they, how many partners they have. It makes them feel powerful. They feel like nobody can hold me. I'm so special. I'm so great. It's, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a trick. Because you're going to find yourself old and sick. And the only person who will be coming to your door is a nurse who comes to wash your, 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 your butt and who comes to give you your medication. Trust me. I worked in healthcare. I've seen it. Right? People go to the hospital and they're alone. Nobody comes to visit them. Because they never took time to invest in anybody. They end up going back home to mom or a sister. If mom is dead, a sister who's going to take care of them. Where were all the women you were running around town with? I told you the story of a guy I met. He was 73 at the time. His name is Reggie. And I end on this. Reggie had dialysis. He was on dialysis. He had uh, a disease that was killing him. So he went to dialysis, the process by which they extract the fluid in your body. And he was a good-looking man. You could tell that Reggie was the thing in his day. His, he lived with his sister. His sister was taking care of him. She was his caregiver. And I asked her, what happened? And she said, do you really need to ask? You could look at Reggie. And he looked at me, and the look in his eyes, there was nothing here. But you know what I saw? Was emptiness, loneliness, guilt, and regret. Of all the women who passed through Reggie's life, Reggie was a player. Reggie felt he was good-looking, powerful, right? And therefore, he could do whatever he wanted to do, right? And... Because he could do whatever he wanted to do, he felt like he could, uh, he got away with everything, right? Right? And so what Reggie did was Reggie had all this stuff. One day, Reggie woke up and realized that's not what life was about. And guess what happened? Reggie was done. He was gone. That's the story. Reggie. 
don't let that register story be your story. I got to go. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth. Make sure you go to my website, HarrietKimmick.com. Thank you for being a part of my experience today. Continue to support us by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Share the story with everyone. You will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, God bless you. Have a great day, everybody. Be blessed. This is Down to Earth. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm so grateful. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.